Adams. Here. Adam Lee. Here. Adamowski. Adamson. Here. Adler. Here. Anderson. Anderson. Here. Bueller. 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 Um, he's sick. My best friend's sister's boyfriend's brother's girlfriend heard from this guy who knows this kid is going with the girl who saw Ferris pass out at 31 Flavors last night. I guess it's pretty serious. What's up, everyone? Welcome to another episode of Rotten Potatoes, a podcast with four best friends reviewing movies you absolutely should have already seen at this point, which is exactly what we're going to do right now. My name is Zach. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, Zach. I like how you did that very convincingly as Ben Stein. <laughs> that's uh, that's me trying to be like engaging. <laughs> Jeez, really? Yeah, you were, you were deadly serious. <laughs> we're doing it. I don't think you left your voice once. <laughs> I was I was really turning the charm on. <laughs> it came through. Jeez. <laughs> What's up, guys? I'm Tyler. I'm Jake. And I'm friend number three. <laughs> also known as Scott. You already Thanks. said Scott. Thanks, guys. <laughs> I'm not super thrilled to like continue through this. <laughs> oh, oh, Hopefully it won't bore you too much. <laughs> uh, well, if you keep talking like that, you might. <laughs> it's just my voice, man. <laughs> have some emotion. I can't change my voice. <laughs> Anyways, uh, yeah, we're doing Ferris Bueller's Day Off today, which was my pick. And he's not really that excited about it. <laughs> <laughs> I was really excited until this. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Yeah, so a little bit of just the facts. Uh, Ferris Bueller uh, was written and directed by John Hughes, uh, released June 11th, 1986. Uh, it did $70 million in the box office on a $5.8 million budget. That's really good. So, I mean, that's a low, but it makes sense that it's a low-budget film. Like, it looked like, you know, they didn't throw around money. Yeah. But in 80s money, $65 million. What is that, like a trillion dollars today? Yeah, like at least. Uh, but yeah, 70 million in the box office. I expected it to be a lot higher box office return, to be honest. I thought way more people saw this in theaters, hmm. but I guess not. I guess not. I guess not. Uh, the other guys gave this an 80%. Uh, IMDb gives it a 7.8 and it was like most comedies, not nominated for any Academy Awards. <laughs> <laughs> How about any MTV awards? It was not nominated for any MTV awards. Have there ever oh, been wow. comedies that have Napoleon gotten? Dynamite got yeah. that? Not best picture, nothing like okay. it, they never get like nominated for best picture or anything like that. But comedies will break into the Academy. Ghostbusters almost got best original song, you know? Yeah. Unfortunate that they didn't. Uh, yeah, they deserved it. <laughs> Can we play that? And then <laughs> I ain't afraid of no ghost. <laughs> And then there is like a category for best comedy and and or musical, like they kind of lump comedies and musicals together. Oh, that's one award. Yeah, that's one award. <laughs> best comedy or musical. Yeah, if there's a comedy musical. It better win by default. They couldn't even just make a second award. It's just it's just so a meaningless rare. statue, anyways. It's so rare that either a comedy or a musical are good enough to win an Academy Award. I feel like one's got to win it every year, though, right? Yeah. But it's just not, it's not like, oh, like we're not good enough on coming out the years of like just terrific comedies. It mm -hmm. was like, 
not good enough on its own, so then therefore they made the other one. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but yeah, that's uh, that that's just the facts. Uh, Zach, you nominated this movie. Why? I did. Yeah, um, I love this movie. Uh, I've always really liked it. It's one of my favorite. Like just easy to watch comfort movies just mm. makes me feel good when I watch it and just makes me happy. Uh, and I, this wouldn't like make my list or anything, but as I'm thinking through movies that everyone should have absolutely seen, I feel like Ferris Bueller's day off is like, it fits that it yeah. needs to be yeah, like, everyone needs to iconic. watch it. You know, like I would never like say like, you have to watch it because it is this amazing movie, but it's like, Oh man, you haven't seen Ferris Bueller. Like you got to watch Ferris Bueller's day off. Yeah. So, yeah, I always have a really fun time with it. I like it a lot. Scott, you'd seen this movie before. Mm-hmm. What do you think watching it again? Uh, I really like Ferris Bueller's. It was, uh, I debated on this or the movie I ended up picking um, for my next episode. For next week. And so uh, I was excited when I heard that Zach was going to pick uh, this one because I really like it. I was going to nominate it next, so... Yeah, I've seen this before. I, I definitely enjoy this. I've probably seen it way more times than I think I've seen it just because it's one of those movies that, like, you know, you, you can catch parts of. Yeah. Saturday I sit with your dad on a Saturday morning. No, that, like, you know, uh, you pass by someone who's, like, watching it and, you know, like, you just see it way it's more so than prevalent. you. It's so prevalent. It's so prevalent that you see it way more than you register having seen it. I think it might be my favorite John Hughes movie. Over uh, Breakfast, Breakfast Club? Club? I think so. I think I just... Little known fact, I've never seen Breakfast Club. Ooh, we might Is that little known that. just because like, not I've many never people told, know you? Yeah, because I've never told anyone <laughs> before <laughs> been now. Been too embarrassed. To, you've been hiding <laughs> it. Literally, I was the only one who knew that fact before a second ago. Wow. I think it might be, but I could also see myself rewatching Breakfast Club and then saying, actually, that's my favorite. I haven't seen it in a really long time. Well, uh, Jake, you are our late bloomer, as you often are. Yeah. You you are kind of like a professional late bloomer at this I, point. I've got it. What is this, like episode 30 or something? Yeah, pretty close. Yeah. So I've, <laughs> I've been late bloomer like 20 times probably, <laughs> at least. Um, All the ones that weren't your movie. No, that's not, that, that's mostly not true. It's, uh, that's, I don't know what I'm trying to say. <laughs> I feel like because you're often the late bloomer and because you don't have nostalgia stats attached to a lot of movies, you've kind of become like the villain of the show. I think Scott's the heel more than I am because I feel like Scott sometimes is just trying to be controversial. That's true. You know, I'm just here where it's I, like, you I know don't what? think I've ever intentionally just been controversial for the sake of being controversial. Like I've actually felt all this. Scott, you gave Zoe what a fight. <laughs> Yeah. Scott upsets right. the like fuel, film purists, but you upset the people who just love movies like Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Yeah. The nostalgia. <laughs> yeah. I feel like I'm about to upset some people. Like I like this movie, but I didn't love it. You know, it was just, it was on. And then it, and, and then it was over. Uh, you know, I, and you liked it. Yeah. I, I, I had a good time. And then I, I, I would tell you, I hated Ferris. If it wasn't for uh, the, the school guy, what's his name? Rooney? Rooney. Rooney. I think that Ferris would be the villain of this movie, personally, <laughs> uh, which kind of made it hard to love the movie, but... Which is interesting because, like, they considered so many different people, like Johnny Depp and Robert Downey Jr. and Tom Cruise and a bunch of other people, but when John Hughes was writing this movie, he wrote it with Matthew Broderick in mind because he felt like Matthew Broderick could play that kind of character 
without like in his words, like making you like check for your wallet, like that this guy's going to like steal from me. Like he's just a punk. It's interesting because Matthew Broderick might be the only one of them that actually almost ended up being a criminal. <laughs> good point. He didn't I, know I that I doubt at the that time. that's true. I'm sure that most of those guys were almost a criminal. <laughs> <laughs> they didn't kill anybody that I know of though. <laughs> Well, we're here. We're here now. I would love it if, like, all of, we get like a, a DM on our on from our, Matthew Broderick. From Matthew Broderick, he listens to this one episode. He's like, he's just like searching through the hashtag on Insta and sees our episode. He listens to it and he's he just sends us a message about how he hates you. Jim. And right as he's, I like, wouldn't even care. What's Matthew Broderick doing these days? He might be. Uh, and right as he's, he's about to like consider doing it, he hears you say, "I would love if Matthew Broderick." Uh-huh. DMs us and he's like, this is crazy. And so Matthew Broderick uh, or anyone else, just in case you wanted to, uh, you can find us on Instagram at Rotten Potato Pod. Yeah, we haven't plugged that in a little while. No, we haven't. Or but- email dan at dan. <laughs> dan. 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 <laughs> Yeah. Can, can we get that email for him? <laughs> We're going to register. Sure the, we the domain dan has to be taken. Dot dan, is that like if uh, Danish? No, <laughs> I don't know. Dot dan is not a thing. Can we make it be a thing? Probably not. Not easily. <laughs> uh, all did right. Did we already well, do just the facts? We did. We did. Yeah, just yeah. The facts, yeah. We're, we're going to jump into the play-by-play now. Okay. Wait, we didn't let Jake finish talking about how much he didn't. I mean, I, 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 I mean, I think we also didn't let Jake qualify his. None of these people were almost a murderer. So maybe you should like explain that comment. Oh, yeah. Matthew Broderick. uh he killed two people in a car accident and faced up to five years in prison in Ireland and then got off with a, a hundred euro fine. Which fun fact, he was in the car with the sister. Jennifer Gray. Who they were engaged at the time. Yeah, I didn't understand their ages. Were they twins? No. Were they, they seemed to be the same age. She like, seemed like an older like sister. A, a year or two older. But, but he was about to graduate. But he, he was, was a senior. senior in high school. Yeah. Oh, so she's probably younger. Why did she get the car and he didn't? I don't know. You feel like you buy the oldest the car because Ferris is irresponsible. <laughs> it's possible but that they, they don't were think just he killed two people. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm surprised, surprised, surprised they let him drive that. Ferrari. It's possible for non-twins to be in the same grade though, if they're born nine months apart. Okay. All right. <laughs> That'd be real, real close. Yeah. I mean, it happens though. Yeah. You know, interestingly enough too, uh, obviously Ferris and Cameron are both. 18 in the movie their characters are and sloan is 17 in real life the woman who played sloan was 18 matthew's project was 23 and alan ruck who played cameron was 29 and he looked every day of it oh no i didn't think so i, I didn't thought, think so either i thought he was absolutely believable as he a teenager. he looked like a baby-faced old man to me like like i was looking at him like you look but that's because he, he more acted like a teenager like, than matthew broderick did yeah me. i yeah. think so too i thought matthew, matthew broderick older. has like facial hair in the first yeah like, yeah when he's in bed shot. i'm like this yeah. dude has a beard <laughs> <laughs> like, i feel like uh cameron looked exactly the same as he did in speed no <laughs> i thought he looked age appropriate yeah, I did too. But I was he looked shot out in speed. <laughs> he looked shot out in this. <laughs> I was so I blown away the first time I found out that Cameron the that Ruck was that old when he sh- when he I played was too. Cameron. I yeah. was super blown away. Uh but makes didn't you say John? Oh, sorry. Being uh just turning 30, how do you feel about how you look now? I couldn't pass as a teenager. 
Like I could not you pass. You didn't pass as a teenager as a teenager. <laughs> <laughs> he Same. had a beard. <laughs> Todd's been buying beer since he was 13. <laughs> so, uh, Jake, if you can't buy uh, Alan Ruck as 29 playing Cameron, would you have been able to buy John Candy as 36 playing Cameron? <laughs> I, I think I would have liked it more. <laughs> because John Candy uh, auditioned for the role of Cameron, and he was at least in his lower 30s. John Candy, game. to me, is somebody who... Ha- like has always looked exactly the way he looked even the day he died. Like I feel like he always looked that age from yeah. like 25 to 50. He yeah. The like same. I couldn't have guessed John Candy's age within 10 years. Yeah. No, I totally agree. Yeah. Speaking but, of John Candy, I really liked him in home alone. Oh yeah. He's the poker king. <laughs> yeah. I'm the poker king. <laughs> oh yeah. You're right. Poker, poker, poker. No, yeah. nothing. Yeah. You should sing the whole song. Uh, that's, that's all he sings. So yeah. <laughs> All right, we should probably anytime get to the I can, play anytime play. I can bring it back to Home Alone, I will. <laughs> I mean, this is a short movie. So I mean, I we, think John Hughes produced Home Alone or wrote it. Really? I'm pretty sure. I think he was involved in it in the making. Huh. I know Chris Columbus directed it. Yeah, you were the Johnny on the Discovered spot. America. Yeah. Hmm? What was that? How old <laughs> yeah. is he? Chris Columbus. Scott, you've already made f- this joke. <laughs> Scott, your favorite director, National Treasure. Oh, heck yeah. yeah. <laughs> I like that guy. <laughs> Any, anybody that can get Nick Cage on my screen. Him and Roland Emmerich are like your boys. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, like, do you know who Roland Emmerich is? <laughs> he was uh, Independence Day, right? Yeah, yeah you're right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You got it. Okay. Uh, John Hughes actually wrote Home Alone. Yeah. Wrote and produced it. See, this is helping me understand who I like because I would never before have known any of these people's names. <laughs> well, you're welcome. Except for John Candy. I knew John Candy. <laughs> All right. I'm just going to take us into the play-by-play. That's good. So uh, we start the movie and Ferris Bueller is in his bed um, and his parents are in the room too because they think that he's sick and he's like playing up that he's sick. Um, and so they tell him to stay home and his sister is really upset about it. Uh, but he gets to stay home. They all leave and go home. And then he like starts talking to the camera and he's talking about the ways that he like faked his illnesses and stuff like that. He and put on just a terrible performance to like, like to his parents where it's like, uh, and he acknowledged that. Yeah, he said, yeah, I know. It. Which is just crazy that his parents are so charmed by him. Like mm-hmm. everybody else. Everyone. <laughs> everybody everybody his but his sister. sister. Yeah. Do you guys and know, Rooney. And Rooney. Before this, had anyone really like embraced the breaking of that fourth wall or was this like the pioneer of like talking to the audience? I don't know. I I feel like it has to be like maybe not like specifically like this is the first time anyone has broken the fourth wall, but like it's in the biggest that one way that in early. Because it's so like copied. And it's always like they're doing Ferris Bueller, like mm-hmm. Deadpool does Ferris Bueller, you mm-hmm. know? Um, so I, I'm not really sure, to be honest. Because, I, yeah, I just feel like this is really early mm-hmm. for this kind of style, which we don't see that often. Yeah. But I like it. Uh, well, uh, Broderick, Matthew Broderick said in, uh, in an interview that uh, when he first read the script, uh, he didn't understand breaking the fourth wall all that much hmm. uh and like didn't really get like that as a as an idea as a premise and so my guess is is that it really wasn't uh it wasn't in any major it wasn't it wasn't in works. mainstream like f- to break the fourth wall uh at that point and he does it a lot like uh, at least in this part like when he's at home his parents have just left he's like 
walking around the house, getting ready, taking a shower, stuff like that. And he's talking to the camera a lot. He's even like giving a presentation and like pointing to yeah. graphics that appear on the screen. Exactly. Yeah. And I really like that part of the movie. Like I'm, I'm watching it. I'm thinking like, this is a really like just kind of fun way to engage with this movie. And then he doesn't really do it a lot throughout the rest of the movie. And I kind of wish that he broke the fourth wall even more. Mm-hmm. He did it a few, like a few more times, just a couple times. You but know? I think I agree with you. Cause like when he did it at first, I was like, okay, like that's kind of like, yeah, fun it's a fun and, way. And some of his monologues are like kind of funny. Yeah. And like I, when he's talking about like European socialism and he's like, it's not going to change the way that change the fact that I don't have a car, you know? And yeah. And I, I, I was thinking it was going to be more prevalent in the movie mm-hmm. and I, I kind of wish it would have been too. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Um, but yeah, so he's home alone, sick right now. And his sister, I forgot her name, um, but his, Jeannie. yeah, Jeannie, Jeannie's at school and word has already gotten around that like Ferris is homesick, but mm-hmm. like, he that he's like 31 flavors. Yeah. Yeah. That he's like deadly ill that he's going to need a kidney transplant. And he's even like calling people. He's like starting they're, most of the rumors. Himself. Yeah. Yeah. Like they're talking to him on like the pay phones. He's calling people and he's playing keyboard sound effects of like coughing and sneezing. Which that I thought that and part toilets. was funny. Like, is he's not even trying to be convinced. Yeah, he's yeah. pressing all the keys and <laughs> it's like once, every yeah. and everyone's like, "Oh my gosh, that sounds really bad." <laughs> yeah, are you okay? He's like, "Give give me to somebody else." <laughs> yeah. So they find any girl and give it to her, and she's but like, everyone hey, apparently hey. knows him. So like, it really builds up how popular he is. Too. Yeah. They don't even say like, hey, here's Ferris. She just takes the phone and says, hi, Ferris. She just knows. Well, he said hi first, and then she said, oh, hey, Ferris. Like, yeah, just oh, okay. from recognizing his voice. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. Um, so the sister's really not happy about that. Um, and he's obviously missing class, which... There's people taking collections. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And stuff, yeah. And it's not really like important to the story, but it's just such an iconic scene where we see Ben Stein, the teacher, taking attendance. And I'm not going to try to recreate it because Bueller. you know, apparently it. I could do a really good job. You Bueller. nailed it. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, it's super funny. Ben Stein is actually like a lot of people, I think, know this because he had a TV show for a while when Ben Stein's money um, but, uh, he is, uh, he was actually a, a and still is like a, a teacher. My mom had him in law school. Like, mm-hmm. so it was one of the best professors she's ever had, but, uh, it was super funny. I guess, uh, Zach was telling us before the podcast started that throughout the, all of Ben Stein's like scenes in this, like he was just basically John Hughes asked him to just like teach a real economics lesson. Right. Yeah. Yeah, which was really interesting. And um, also, uh, Ben Stein felt about this movie very opposite of how Jake felt about this movie. He loved this movie. He said it was like the most life-affirming post-war movie to ever come out at the time and that it was two comedies what Gone with the Wind was to epics. Which is insane. Yeah, I mean, like I think like some of the sen- sentiments that he had about it, like I, I kind of agree. I didn't think maybe it's because I didn't watch it in the 80s and yeah. this wasn't such a novel idea to me that like life moves fast and you should like stop and look around, you know, like yeah. that wasn't this didn't teach me that. But maybe it taught Ben Stein that. Who knows? Maybe it did. Maybe this movie like really changed his life for the better. Do you think he started ditching teaching college classes because of this movie? Started taking some days off. Yeah. Yeah. He would, just, he would just go to high schools and just say, Bueller, <laughs> Bueller. Just, even though there was another teacher in the class. Yeah. He, he would stand next would to them. Stop. So anyways, uh, <laughs> Ferris is at home um, and he is trying to convince his friend Cameron 
to come over and Cameron is also sick at home. But he's legitimately sick. I mean, not really. He 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 thinks he's sick. He's worked himself up into thinking he's he sick. He thinks he's sick. I, hang on. I'm sorry. Before we get too far, I just want to say one one more thing before we get too far. It's super interesting. Uh, this was uh, Ben Stein's second acting credit ever. Really? Yeah. So he was a nobody. What was his first? Uh, it was called The Wildlife, and he just played a surplus salesman, like so not even a, ca- a character's name. And actually in this, he doesn't have a, a name either. He's just economics teacher. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so Cameron's at home, and he... It, it's all in his head. John Hughes actually said that he based this character off of a friend he had growing up who would fake sickness all the time. Um, <laughs> and so Cameron's like laying in bed at home, thinks he's deathly ill, uh, and Ferris is trying to get him to, to come over, and eventually he does. And so now they're trying to figure out how can we get Sloane, who is Ferris's girlfriend, out of class so that they could go have fun. Um, so they decide to concoct this idea that Sloane's grandma died. And uh, we see this shot of the nurse walking down the hall and she comes into the classroom to get Sloan. And I just thought it was interesting how like Sloan just knows, like as soon as Mm -hmm. the nurse shows up, it's all Ferris and like, I'm about to get out of here. She started putting her jacket on before, like as soon as she saw the nurse and then the the nurse like talks to the teacher, they call her last name and then she goes, oh me? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And she's like already getting ready to go packing up her stuff. Which just made me wonder, like, how often has Ferris done this? Well, often enough that uh, Rooney has made him the center of his sad life. (laughs) (laughs) That's true. But then also, how often is this poor nurse just, like, coming to collect Sloan, thinking that, like, their family is just plagued by another, like, tragedy? Um, but yeah, anyways, they, they're able to, to get Sloan and Rooney is the the principal, um, who I don't think I've introduced yet. And he is not buying it for one bit. Um, in fact, he's already taken notice that Ferris is absent again and has tried to, uh, this is the ninth time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But Ferris, while he's looking at the screen has apparently hacked into the school's network and dropped it down to two absences, Mm -hmm. (laughs) which which is acceptable. He shows a, a fair amount of promise. Yeah, because his parents bought him a computer instead of a car. The two, the two absences is acceptable. Not the hacking. That's that's unacceptable. (laughs) (laughs) Which then that's when we find out again that he got a computer and his sister got a car. Yeah, because that's the computer he used. And that's that's her only comfort. She's like, whatever. I got a car. He did. (laughs) Yeah, that's the only thing she holds on to. Mm -hmm. And I really like the scene with, uh, or really the whole relationship with Rooney and his secretary, Grace. I think Grace is the funniest part of this movie. Oh, Oh, I love her. And their whole conversation is, uh, to me, hilarious when he says, uh, I don't trust this guy as far as I can throw him. Well, with your bad knee, you probably shouldn't be throwing anybody. (laughs) (laughs) And she's like, everybody likes him. Whatever, whatever, the goths, the The goths, the geeks, the sluts, the schizoids, the jocks. They all think he's a real righteous dude, which was improvised. Yeah, that's good on her. Yeah. It's uh, it's the sportos, the motorheads, the geeks, sluts, bloods, wasteoids, dweebies, dickheads. They all adore him. Even they the bloods. He's a righteous yeah. dude. Even the bloods. I didn't know the bloods had made it out to that suburban <laughs> high school. How come the Crips aren't in there? 
They don't love him. That's it's they blood don't love territory. Him. Yeah. yeah. He's aligned himself with the bloods. Got he it. wore red a lot this movie. Got it. I love the line that follows too when Rooney says something to the extent of like, I'm not gonna let this kid get away or something like that. And she goes, Oh, you sounded like dirty Harry yeah. just <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And he oh, like yeah. he smirks, he like is so like pleased to hear it and then like kind of dismisses it and just like Thanks, Grace. <laughs> <laughs> he comes back to doing his work. What, like, which just comprises of trying to bust Ferris. Like, he doesn't have any real work to do that day. Right. Like, yeah. He says this something. takes president over actually being a principal. He says something to the effect of, like, 15 years from now, when he looks at the ruin of his life, he'll remember Ed Rooney. <laughs> yeah. He's dark. That's how much he hates this, this like, you know goofing around kid yeah yeah well he said he's like single-handedly the only person who's like stopping him from like perfecting the school Mm. so that's that's the the source of his Mm -hmm. he's like if if he wasn't here like the school would be impeccable but he's ruining my career (laughs) (laughs) so uh they uh, they concoct this scheme and they have Cameron uh, like call in as Sloane's mother or father. I'm sorry, and uh, but Cameron kind of screws it up and and he and Ferris are trying to like you know get get this uh, get this to happen. I I just love the interaction when the, he like hangs up the phone. And he's like, "You hit me." He's like, <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry. Where's your brain? <laughs> you hit me. Where's your brain? <laughs> uh, but they they. Uh, pick up Sloane uh, and uh, Ferris pretends to be her father. Mm-hmm. Well, and they steal Cameron's dad's prize. Oh, yeah. right. Yes. Yeah. yeah I, because that's the only way they could convince him. He has to have a, a nice car. car. Yeah. yeah. I also love that in the convincing, he tells him, well, what about the miles? My dad knows how many miles are on this. And he's like, oh, well, we'll just drive it in reverse. Obviously doesn't know how speedometers. <laughs> and, and, and he Either of them do. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, and so they go to pick Sloane up, and Sloane comes out, and then Ferris, pretending to be her dad, starts making out with her. <laughs> and Rooney's just like, and he was okay with it. He was like, I guess that's how it happens in that family. I mean, he just like, <laughs> like he, like he, he was not like, oh, I'm a mandated reporter, and that's yeah. clearly child abuse. Yeah. Like, no, he was like, all. yeah, that happens. <laughs> it was the eighties. It was a crazy time. <laughs> so they take Sloane. And they just go and start having a ton of fun. The, yeah, the they, they drive into the city and uh, drop the car off with just the shadiest parking attendant ever. Yeah. Um, who just uh, immediately joyrides r- up the miles all day. I think at the end of the at the end of the movie, he put like three thousand miles on the car. <laughs> That's a lot of miles <laughs> yeah. for that for amount one of time. Day, yeah. Um, I don't even think you can drive three thousand miles in a day. He did it. Yeah, he he, he Wait, did all around Chicago. The how many miles attendant. the parking attendant put on? It was in hundreds. I thought it was three hundred. No, he yeah, said three hundred. He said that there was one hundred and twenty-six miles on the car, and then at the three hundred point one. I thought it was like three thousand point one or no, something. No, no, no. Mm-hmm. That last thing, the, there's only there are only four digits on that speedometer, and the last one is a, a fraction. A fraction. Oh, okay. See, I'm just used to having screens. Right. Yeah. No, those older cars they just weren't designed uh-huh. to drive thousands or hundreds of thousands of miles and so 150 miles yeah i mean he doubled the miles he doubled the miles yeah that's yeah and just driving around the city of chicago but why have a car if you're not going to drive it you know right or drive it out the window 
I did like that that line when uh, he was talking with his friend trying to convince him to take the car. And he basically said, like, he doesn't, des- your dad doesn't deserve this car. Actually, I think he says it to the audience. Mm. And he's like, yeah, you know, someone who doesn't know how to enjoy life doesn't deserve this type of thing. I don't know if you noticed, but when most of the time outside of that first dialogue or not dialogue, that first monologue where he's telling us about like how to get out of school, uh, pretty much every time uh, Ferris addresses the audience, it's to give us a look into Cameron's world. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah uh, I, that, this, this part was where I really started to not like Ferris where I was like, oh, just, when he made him do, yeah, why are you making your friend get in trouble? Like, why are you making him do all this stuff? And then I was like, oh, I don't, I don't want him to get anybody in trouble. I hated it. But he explains later that it's like he looks at Cameron as someone who's just wound too tight, and really maybe even like, like a little uh, neglected at best by his father, and maybe even like a little abused by his father, and and he uh, just wants to give him one good day. Like that was his whole motivation is he wanted to give his best friend. Yeah. I just feel, I feel like he says different things. He's like, Oh, how can I be expected to bear school on a day like this at the beginning of the movie? (laughs) Sure. So it's like, I don't believe him. You know, like it just seemed like a convenient thing for him to say after he wrecked Cameron's world. So you feel like you associate more with Cameron than you do with Ferris. I just feel like Ferris is kind of a bully. I don't know if you (laughs) notice, but also like whenever Ferris is like interacting in his world, he's almost always lying. But whenever he's addressing the camera, he's always telling the truth. I didn't notice. I think both can be but true. And that I, it, I think that that can't be true because he says contradictory, like when he's saying like, oh, I just don't want to go to school today to the camera. But then he also says, oh, I did this for Cameron today. I think both can be true. Yeah, I don't understand like, why I think both he, can't be he true. He just wanted a day off. Like he really did just want to have a lot of fun. But then like Cameron's objecting and he's just like, dude, this is ridiculous. Like you need this just as much as I do. Well, if not more, you know, and he ends up liberating Cameron. And I rarely have like only one drive to do something. Like usually like if I make a decision, there are a lot of things that are driving me to that decision. It's not just one. Um, but yeah, I, I, I'm not, uh, discounting your, uh, dis, like you can he's dislike Ferris. A bully. Yeah, he's yeah, he's a bully. I'm just like pointing out something. I don't interesting think he's a movie. bully. He's one of those friends who makes you do things you don't want to do. But then he's also like the freshmen are like, oh man, he's getting me out of summer school. Like he's like a homie to a lot of people. Yeah. Like if he's a bully, the school wouldn't rally around. Like he wouldn't be in the papers. <laughs> like <but laughs> his community rallies around sick youth. I think only to <laughs> the people that are close to him is he that way. He like is a little manipulative. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. Yeah, he's ma- that that might be more accurate. He's manipulative. Yeah. I I wouldn't call him a bully though. I think he thinks he's doing what's right for Cameron, but it's like someone could make the case like this isn't the way to go about it. Sure. Like this isn't like I think manipulative is the best word. Yeah. 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 He is manipulative and he does manipulate Cameron, but I do think that by the end of the movie like Cameron Ferris is a static character, but Cameron's actually a really rounded character. He's grown. Like, he grows through this experience. I think yes and no. I think he does grow more in his, like, okay, I need to have some real conversations with my dad. I think he needed to grow more in the, I need to have some real conversations with Ferris about, like, boundaries and not, sure. not manipulating. But I also, that. I think it's cool a cool moment when, um, to jump ahead a little bit, uh, they've put a ton of miles. They, they, the 
parking attendants put a ton of miles on the car. And then they realize that later and they don't know how to like fix the issue. And Cameron goes like catatonic. He's like having like a panic attack pretty much. Um, and he jumps into the pool and we think that he's like just trying to like drown himself and they rescue him. And then it turns out that it's just this big joke. Like he was just playing a joke on, on Ferris, but like, I think that he did it to see if Ferris would jump in after him because yeah. the entire time he's just like, you don't care about me. Like you don't care about our friendship, this and that. It just thinks Ferris doesn't care. And Ferris is like so scared and uh, clearly cares so much about him. And so I wonder if he was just like wanted to test his loyalty to him. I know. And, and we, I, <clears throat> I'm sorry, go ahead, Scott. Um, well, you, what you were saying is probably more important than what I was going to say. I was just, it's going to dovetail with what Zach said. So, yeah. And I think that also it's like, uh, like when we get to the end of the movie and like sort of, and they're like not able to run the miles off the car, uh, uh, and the car, uh, well, they're, they're not able to run the miles off. He, uh, Ferris is like, this is all like I'm I'm taking the heat. Yeah, for this. blame like, me for this. Like would not like try and like deflect that at all and like was really insistent. Like, you don't want this kind of heat. Like, I will take it, you know. Um, and so I think he like owned, you know, even things where it was like, Oh, it was a mistake for me to ever have taken this car and like this is gonna hurt my friend, and so I'm going to absolutely take the heat for this like he's owning responsibility like i don't know i have a hard time looking at cameron and uh ferris's friendship as like ferris being a bad guy yeah i agree with you i think he wouldn't have taken the heat for him if it was like oh you're just gonna get in trouble because you stole the car like if he wouldn't have been able to run the miles off and the car didn't back out of the out of the window he probably would have just been like all right you meet this fate then on your own. I would probably I think, disagree because of uh, well, the, what we talked about with like the choice of actor at the beginning, like even the director thought this is not a likable character unless I like put this right person in here. Yeah, no, I, I agree, but I don't, I, I, I don't think that I don't think that Ferris, I don't think that Ferris is a bad guy. I don't think that he's, manipulating his friend for his own desires. I think he really cares about his friend. I think he displays it throughout the whole movie. And so I think it's a little like, I don't know. I, I, I think I'm reacting to, I think it's unfair to say that Cameron needed to have a conversation with Ferris about boundaries. Like that seems a little harsh. I think there's been a lot of times, maybe not a lot of times, but there's been times in my life where I've wanted to do something with friends and there's been like a friend or two who weren't down. And I have kind of been Ferris in that situation. Like, come on, like do this or like kind of manipulate the situation a little bit for sure. So, so that we could go do this thing that I really want to do. But then also knowing that we'll all look back and be like, see, wasn't that like, we totally like had a great time doing this. Like you were wrong. Like this was great. You know? And like he even tells Cameron at the um, at the Cubs game, like, see, we could have been in gym right now. And Cameron's like, yeah, like, like he's like having a great day, you know. All right, I did not expect us to get this deep Me into. Either. I know. I, yeah. I was thinking that right now. I was like, we just watched, we Ferris just did Inglorious Bastards last week, and we were like joking around about Inglorious Bastards, and we're getting, we're diving deep into the motivations. <laughs> really of deep, Ferris. yeah. <laughs> Let's just get back to the comedy. Ferris is a dumb name. See, this is a <laughs> this movie holds a lot of water. I guess. I think Ben Stein was right. This is the comedy for the ages. 
yeah, I might agree more than I thought I did. <laughs> this was a good pick. Admit it, Jake. I never said it wasn't a good pick. <laughs> Just say it, Jake. <laughs> I want to hear you say it into the mic. This is, this is a great pick. <laughs> so really, can you, great can you move the gun from spent, my head? <laughs> <laughs> we've spent so much time. Uh, they go. They they're going to museums um, to a Cubs game, and they're they seeing like, sights. A they're, lot of really inexplicable running into like, oh, he runs into his dad. Yeah, at a restaurant. yeah, yeah. They go to this uh, really fancy restaurant. His Shane dad happens Louis. to be there. A parade. And, uh, then like like Rooney, crash a parade. <laughs> Rooney just misses seeing him on TV at the Bears yeah. game, like or the Cubs game. I, those scenes are that were really funny. The reason yeah, you said yeah. the Bears is because he he's, yeah. Yeah. yeah, he's like, what's the score? Zero, zero. Ah, who's winning? <laughs> the, Bears. <laughs> the Bears. The Bears. The Bears. <laughs> yeah. Ferris somehow like gets in the parade too and like is singing yeah, he songs. made it in, onto the float. Well, he's and, not even singing songs. Like he's lip singing songs. Yeah. And like, I was like, what world do we live in where a teenager can lip sing songs and it will just turn Chicago on its head? And that there's just this huge <laughs> Have parade. Have you like, heard of TikTok? I mean, Chicago, like they were, they were shutting down streets in Chicago over TikToks. Yeah, like on a work and school day too. I was like, why is this parade happening now? Yeah, and then his dad's looking down at him in the float and he's just like dancing to the song. Yeah. He probably didn't recognize him from up there, but yeah, he's just the the most aloof guy of all time. Like he looks, <laughs> yeah, he really he is. sees him next to him in the cab and then he like does a double take and it's just a girl and he's like, did I see wrong? And like, apparently he's never met his, his son's girlfriend. Right. Yeah. yeah that was my no idea who this is. And then he sees him running and next to him in the middle of the road. Like that's something you look at. And then he's like, oh yeah, whatever. And then Ferris runs the other way when he realizes his dad. And then he's like, kind just, of like welcomed a, a, a blown kiss from her too. Yeah. That was, <laughs> yeah, that was, like, he was kind of into old. it. Yeah. yeah. What's he doing? <laughs> He's licking the glass and making obscene gestures with his hands. <laughs> he is. I love the scene where they like they look over and see him and pan over and then they're down and then you see and Ferris is rubbing this rabbit foot and Cameron takes the rabbit foot oh, and yeah. starts rubbing yeah, it. Yeah, like <laughs> <laughs> One of my favorite parts too is uh, Jeannie is at school and the whole day everyone is just like like they're raising money for Ferris and like just making comments about how they, like, sick he is. They and, painted the water tower. Yeah. yeah. And she's so upset and she comes into the principal's office to like, uh, I think try to like ruin his ruse essentially and just gets nowhere with the, uh, with the secretary. And so she like leaves and she's so grumpy and grace, sweet little grace is just like, what a little (laughs) a-hole. So they, uh, the, they, they successfully all except for the, the destruction of the car. Ferris successfully has his day off. And meanwhile, Rooney has broken into his house. Like, <laughs> yeah. like he's getting a, he's getting attacked by a dog. Like I, the Gets only car towed. The only bit of this movie that I've seen is I saw this part of the movie where he's trying to break into the house in the gym once, uh, and I I thought that part was pretty funny too. Yeah, watching. Yeah, he, he dropped he, a vase on that dog's head and knocked it out. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he assaulted the dog, broke and entered. Yeah, and he, and runs into Jeannie. I yeah, I think my favorite, maybe my favorite part, like the part that I kind of laughed the hardest, that was when Jeannie just kicks him in the face and he goes down. I, yeah, I don't know. It just I wasn't expecting her to get him. I like that part. Yeah, and then she calls the cops, and apparently they just disregard her. Like, like I've never seen a nine one one experience <laughs> where like you call the police and they're just like, "No, nah, we don't believe you." Well, because she has next to week. Up, you know, we're gonna get more of those. Like if they would have sent police out. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. It's just crazy. Because she has to then go to the police station. Well, no, she no, gets they brought picked her up in because she prank f- called. Oh, did uh, she? A false I, call. I yeah. was doing research 
at this moment in the movie. So I kind of missed some parts. Well, I walked in the door and then Zach was watching this movie. Yeah, I had just finished it. Uh, but anyways, um, she she apparently gets brought to the police station and meets Charlie Sheen. Mm-hmm. Charlie Sheen, who he plays uh, a drug addict in this movie, and to prepare for the part, he, he became he, a drug addict in real life. <laughs> <laughs> it's still going. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. First Bueller wrecked him. According to IMDb, he stayed up for over 48 hours to prepare for this five-minute scene. That would do it. But he was doing drugs in those 48 hours, right? Most likely. The only way I could stay up for 48 hours is through drugs. Which apparently John Hughes like had a whole backstory made for this character, Charlie Sheen. Like he was like childhood friends with Ferris and all this stuff that just sounded a little ridiculous, um, which probably attributed to uh, the first cut of this movie. I don't think I've said yet was two hours and 45 minutes. Oof. Long. Way That's too a, long. Yeah. Yeah. So they cut all that. I, I'm, I'm glad. Like, well, how are they childhood friends if he didn't even know Jeannie's name? Good question. I mean, they probably altered he the was script. On they drugs. probably, yeah, just changed the script. Yeah, so um, the mom picks Jeannie up. They're driving home. They see Ferris, and she's, like, racing him home, but they get home. and But the mom just does not see Ferris. Yeah, just right. The parents never see Ferris at all. Yeah, the parents are oblivious to anything but good things from yeah, Ferris. The mom came home, saw his mannequin set up in the room, and, <laughs> and was like, just bought it. Oh, yeah, that's Ferris. Yeah, also, it's like it's like a completely different color skin hand sticking out from <laughs> under the pillow. Which I love the scene when they're at the police station and uh, the mom is talking about like Jeannie and whatnot, and then the the police chief says like, "Oh, by the way, like give give our best to your son. We're all rooting for him." Mm-hmm. Like it's made its way to the police station. Well, like they get home and somehow there are like so many flowers delivered to the house inside the house. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> what I want to know is what happened to. Like that was the quickest uh, speeding ticket I think I've ever experienced. Me too. That was my that was my biggest moment where I was like, I don't believe this movie anymore because there's no. That way. was the one that yep. you made. You I was not like, there's it? no way she she was she had to be there for at least twenty minutes getting that ticket. I mean, he was running. Yeah, but yeah, it, it happened very quick on screen. Yeah, that's a uh, that's essentially the movie, right? Yeah, he gets home. He gets uh, away with it. His sister Jeannie covers him. for him. Yeah. That's right, yeah. So a little bit of change in her. Charlie Sheen she got a little action yeah, from Charlie Sheen. Well, she, Charlie Sheen dropped some pearls of wisdom and yeah. then gave her a little action. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Said, uh, and, I know, I know and someone oh. I know someone that uh, you should really talk to. And Don't, you dare Ferris Ferris Bueller. Bueller. Don't you dare say Ferris Oh, Bueller. you know him. Yeah. Uh, and then the uh, quintessential, like, so I, I just think it's super funny that the whole, like, all of the credits happen with Rooney on the bus pretty much. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It was just super funny. And then, uh, the like super well-known quintessential, uh, post-credit sequence where Ferris walks back out of the viz bedroom. What are you still doing here? Go home. It's over. It's over. And he just goes back to his room. Like odd that the audience is still watching him feeling odd that the audience is still watching him. It's pretty smart. So that's Ferris Bueller's day off. Yep. I have a decent recast for this movie too. Oh, really? Ready to hear it? RDJ. <laughs> no, uh, no Tom, but Tom actually, on, on that though, like I actually really did think like it would be super funny to have a short film, like not like a full film, mm-hmm. of uh, Tom Holland uh, as Peter Parker and Ned 
sort of like redoing, like trying to like recreate. Like I just feel like that's something they would do is like they go to Chicago and they try and recreate oh. all of like Ferris Bueller's mm-hmm. scenes. I just thought that would be funny. And then they just keep getting interrupted by crime. Yeah. He has to fight. Yeah. Just yeah. The Green Goblin shows up. <laughs> yeah. No, I think a, uh, I mean, age, obviously if we've learned anything, the age does not matter in Hollywood, but <laughs> I think a younger John Mulaney could have played Ferris Bueller. Yeah. Oh yeah, I feel like their like mannerisms were very similar. That's yeah. my one recast. That's all I would change. I would change Ferris Bueller um, to Macaulay Culkin and Joe Pesci to be the principal. I I would make John Candy Ferris, <laughs> <laughs> not, Cameron. Ferris. <laughs> not Cameron, not <laughs> Cameron. Like like you know what, John? Like I really appreciate you auditioning for Cameron, but you're not right for the part. He should be Ferris. You should be Ferris. <laughs> it's a better cast. Uh, or a Sloan. That's true. John Candy as Sloan would have been really good. <laughs> Making uh, kiss faces to the dad. <laughs> uh, if uh, John Mulaney, I, I like that, but I might put John Mulaney as Cameron and Nick Kroll as uh, Ferris. I think I would have felt very similar to Jake in that Ferris is a very unlikable person. Because <laughs> <laughs> Nick Kroll is already kind of unlikable. Just by his voice. Yeah, and face. <laughs> <laughs> I like Nick Kroll, but it's just his face. <laughs> yeah. I'd have a harder time buying that Nick Kroll is the most popular guy at this high school. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Well, before we uh, spin up the the servers and uh, and uh, rate this film, Zach <laughs> Zach might need a minute. Um, Scott, you had uh, you had asked me this wasn't on the podcast, but you had asked me uh, when we were watching this the other day if this was if I knew if this was the first movie to have a post credit sequence. Mm-hmm. It wasn't. Uh, this movie came out in 1986. The movie with the first. Uh, post-credit sequence was actually 20 years earlier in 1966, a movie called the silencers. And, uh, then all through there were, you know, four other movies that year in, or in that time period, including the Muppet movie had a post-credit sequence. And then a lot of movies in the eighties had them. So, uh, this definitely wasn't first, but, uh, but this was ripped off for the post-credit sequence of Deadpool, which I thought was, are you kind of funny. The eighties were the start of all movies. No, yeah, who'd have thunk? You know, especially with us having watched two movies <laughs> pre eighties because of you. Yeah. <laughs> Get ready for another one. <laughs> <laughs> Buckle up, everybody! All right, well, let's uh, spin up the servers and rate this movie. Uh, Scott, we'll start with you. What would you give this movie? I'll give this one a seven point three righteous dudes <laughs> jake i'm gonna give it uh 7.1 pearls of wisdom from charlie sheen <laughs> i'm gonna give this uh 7.4 bueller's i'm gonna give this uh 7.7 7 pencils lost in the secretary's hair <laughs> all right so this movie is uh, a 74% on Rotten Potatoes. Uh, just as a reminder, the other guys gave this an 80%, and IMDb gave it a 78 uh, So we came in a little under IMDb, a fair amount under the other guys, but 
I don't know. I, I think it's deserving. Let us know what you think. Uh, you can uh, follow us at Rotten Potato Pod, especially you, Matthew Broderick. Make sure to uh, write a special note to Jake. Yeah, you know what? Defend yourself to me. Also, <laughs> rest rest in peace, John Candy. Also, rest in peace, John Candy. And those two people. <laughs> <laughs> and the two people. That in the car accident? Yeah. <laughs> Make sure to uh, tune in next week, and uh, Scott's gonna Scott's gonna die over here before we get out of this episode. Make sure to uh, tune in next week and uh, watch the movie Die Hard with us. Scott nominated the movie Die Hard, and uh, it's gonna be uh, it's gonna be a, a real explosive time. Since all three of these guys are laughing hysterically, uh, and I can't ask them if they have any final thoughts, uh, we will see you guys Wait, later. I just let myself out.